Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. What's going on, everybody? My name is Eric Sebastian. I am our campus pastor over at our McKinney campus and also our lead groups pastor here at Hope Fellowship. Uh, Everybody at Frisco East today, how we doing? Nice, nice. Everybody that's watching online, I want to welcome you guys, everybody at our Frisco West campus, uh, everybody over at our Prosper campus, and uh, my home team, the McKinney campus, make some noise over there. Love you guys and miss you today. And uh, kind of a fun fact, you know, Prosper is just a couple of weeks away from moving into their new building, so we're celebrating that as a church. And then also, uh, yeah, yeah, this month we're also celebrating the McKinney campus, 11 years this month at the McKinney campus, so a lot of stuff for us to clap about and celebrate along with Baptism Sunday, just so, so, much, uh, so many good things happening here at the church, including, uh, as the video alluded to, the launching of our fall group semester, which is launching uh, August 27th, the week of August 27th. And uh, you can find out tons of information about our groups that we're launching if you go to hopefellowship.net slash groups. Also, you got a card on your way in. Um, all the information is there as well. There's the website link on there, the start date on there, and there's also a QR code on that card so you can uh, scan the QR code and all of it, it all takes you to the same landing spot which is the group's website and on there there's a button that says browse available groups and you'll see all sorts of groups that we have to offer this fall uh, as a church. You'll see uh, every campus has on-site Bible study groups that meet weekly. There's also uh, off-site home groups and common interest groups. Shout out to my home group over at McKinney. There's also uh, groups for your kids. There's also uh, student groups for middle school and high school students. There's young adult groups. There's good leader groups, there's unity groups, there's care and support groups. I have to make sure I say that deliberately. It's not care and support groups. We don't have those. Care and support groups, just to name a few of the groups that we have here at the church. And also on that page, there's a button that says, need help finding a group. So if you look through the site and you don't find a group that you're looking for, then you just click that button, fill out the information there, and that goes to our groups team And it affords us an opportunity to be able to follow up with you to find out what are you looking for and how we can help you find it. And then also, uh, somebody keeps selling this for a minute longer, Uh, there's also another button on the page that says, do you want to lead a group? And uh, if you're interested in leading, maybe you've led a group in the past or you're interested in leading now, or perhaps you're looking for a group, but we don't have that group and we're coming to you going, help us get that group started here at Hope. And uh, I just feel compelled to say, leading a group doesn't have to be scary it's not something that's intimidating or frightening. You don't have to be scared to lead a group. You don't have to be like the grandpa who was talking to his son and he talked about his, his fear. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard this story or not, but there was, there was a grandpa and a grandson. They were having a conversation one day and the grandson was like, Grandpa, you and Grandma have been married for like 70 plus years and, and you're still so in love with each other. I mean, you call her nicknames like honey and darling and beautiful and sweetheart, like What's the secret to staying still so in love after 70 plus years of marriage? The grandpa looked at the grandson and he said, well, son, I actually forgot your grandmother's name about five years ago and I've been too afraid to ask. (laughs) You don't have to be afraid, that's the whole point. You don't have to be afraid to lead a group, that's the whole point. And actually as a church, we're kind of leaning into this idea in this series. We've been in a series uh, entitled Commitment to Community. Last week, Pastor John did an incredible job teaching on uh, the first week, talking about walking in community 
with God. And he gave us three points, like three, here's how we do that. And the first one was that we surrender our heart. Second one was we surrender our understanding. And then thirdly, we surrender our actions. And we talked about, like, the first thing, you know, we surrender our lives to Jesus. And then once we do that, our understanding is us knowing I, I have a will and so does God. I have a way and so does God. But when I surrender my understanding, I'm coming under submission to God's will and to God's way. Then I surrender my actions by going, when those things collide, my actions are gonna follow Jesus's will. Jesus, so I'm gonna actually walk in obedience according to his plan instead of my own. And then as a church, we gave out this like five-day Devo that was out on version as homework. And just to brag on our church, to brag on you guys a little bit, we did a five-day Devo this past week. We had over 1,700 subscriptions on version this week to do that Devo. So can you just give yourself a round of applause because that's awesome uh, we had that many people going through the Devo this last week. And so this was walking in community with God, or as John would say, that's this way. This week, we're gonna talk about walking in community with others this way. And, and probably the, the best place for us to start this conversation today would be, uh, let's actually define the word community. So we have a, you know, we're all on the same page, we're on the same definition here. And, and community is actually this word uh, found about 20 times in the New Testament, and the word is koinonia, which translates into community. Another translation is fellowship or partnership, but it's this idea of we're sharing together, or we have, a, we have a commonality, there's a common interest that we're sharing things over. And so the dictionary definition of community is literally, it would be a group of people who interact together over a shared common interest. This is the definition of community. C.S. Lewis says it this way about community or friendship. He says, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, you too? I thought I was the only one. So this is like the bedrock of friendship that I would say, oh, you're from Alabama too? I thought I was the only one. Oh, can I get a roll tide? Hey, thank you. Saturday night service, they did not want to play along, but you guys did, and I'm thankful for that. You know, you say, hey, oh, you too. You would say, I, or you go, uh, hey, my boss really likes motorcycles. You too? Oh, my gosh. I'm like, my boss really, really likes motorcycles. Oh, your boss does too? That's crazy. That's awesome. You like spicy gumbo? Oh, me too. Let's go get a meal. That was weird. I don't know about spicy gumbo, but, uh, or you'd go, or, or maybe you'd say, uh, your wife has Amazon delivered to your front porch every single day? You too? Oh, thank God I'm not the only one, you know? I, I joke with my wife, I'm like, at this point, if I get home one day and there's not an Amazon delivery on our doorstep, I'm just assuming we've been robbed at that point. Like somebody, somebody's robbed our house. But this is, this is kind of this idea of, of community. It's a group of people who interact together over a shared common interest. And then for those of us who are Christ followers today, we can actually uh, we can kind of dive a little deeper into that definition because for us, you know, our shared common interest as, as a Christian is, in fact, Jesus. So for the Christians, we would say uh, community for us is the group of people that we're following Jesus with, which then obviously begs the question for us today that we have to answer, do you have a group of people that you're following Jesus with? This is gonna be the tension today. This is gonna be the conversation today for us of going, how do I find that group of people where we're following Jesus together? Because this idea of community, it's so important and our temptation is, is so common that what happens is oftentimes we're tempted to drift away 
from this practice of walking in community with other people. And even to Pastor John's message last week, we're tempted oftentimes to drift away from the practice of walking in community with God. And so we're, we're, you know, we're not doing this all the time, and we're not doing this all the time. And so what we're left to, what, what ends up happening is we settle for walking in isolation and walking in loneliness, walking through this life feeling alone. And, and actually, just to kind of like continue to, to talk about that for a second, uh, the Associated Press in May of this year, earlier this year, they released, the, the Surgeon General released an 81-page report intending to like, singularly raise awareness around loneliness. And, and we saw in this report, again, 81 pages, some of this was actually in the version Devo 2, for those of you who went through that, but uh, it says, research shows that Americans who have become less engaged with worship houses, community organizations, and even their own family members in recent decades has steadily reported an increase in feelings of loneliness. It kept going, it kept on in this report and it said that we've spent, uh, nearly two decades ago, the, the average was spending 20, or sorry, 60 minutes a day in person with friends two decades ago to nowadays spending less than 20 minutes a day in person with friends, And for the generation, for the age group of ages 15 to 24, those numbers are actually worse. It said in that age group, it reported a 70% drop in time spent with friends during that same time frame. And so it's not getting any better, it's actually getting worse. And there's all sorts in this report, there's all sorts of health risks and, and mental and emotional and psychological repercussions to loneliness and its effects on us. And it kind of summarized at the end to say about half of U.S. adults say they've experienced loneliness pretty wild when you actually stop and think about it. And it's wild because we're more connected now than we've ever been in human history. I mean, in an instant, in a moment, you and I can be connected to anybody anywhere around the world. And don't get me wrong, it's awesome, okay? I mean, like technology nowadays is unbelievable, and I'm not knocking innovation at all, but when research is showing that technology is actually rapidly increasing the loneliness problem, we have a problem. It just goes to show that although we're more connected than we've ever been with more people than we've ever had the opportunity to be connected with, and, and really despite the fact that it's easier now to find people with a shared common interest than it has ever been, somehow we feel more lonely and more unknown now than at any other time in history. And what are they saying is the solution? What are they drawing as the conclusion for us? They're saying in these reports, and data and research is, concluding that the answer is in-person interaction and engagement. Is us, in person together, interacting and engaging together. They're saying community is not simply connectivity. We have something to connect over. They're saying it's not even simply chemistry. Oh, that we have a shared common interest and we get along. It can be those things, but they said, no, it's, it's, community is conversation. Community is dialogue. Community is relationship. Community is knowing and being known. It's vulnerability and it's accountability. It's not just a group of people who share a common interest. It's a group of people who are engaging together over a shared common interest. And do you know what? They're not the only ones saying this. In fact, Scripture teaches us this. And in fact, Scripture goes uh, even a step beyond that, and actually we see all throughout Scripture that you and I, we were actually designed this way. 
in early parts of Genesis, it just confirms this for us that we were actually created for community. We were designed by the creator for engagement, for relationships that we are not meant to walk through life alone. And the best part is that with God, he doesn't just say this like in scripture in a vacuum somewhere. No, he actually puts feet to the faith and he sends his son Jesus to come to earth and actually walk this out for us, to actually model it for us, to show us how we should live in community with God and in community with one another. And then Jesus instructs us to do the same. And just like Pastor John said last week, I mean, there's all sorts of examples and there's all sorts of Bible verses that we could teach on and that we could read from today that, that just highlight this topic of community. But I think that the best teacher, the best example for us to learn from today is Jesus. So the question for us is, is there a practice from Jesus that would highlight for us what it looks like to walk in community with others? And of course, you're at church today, so the answer is a resounding yes, there is. We're gonna look at a couple of passages of scripture, all found in the Gospel of Matthew. We're gonna pull some things out of each one, and then we're gonna conclude at the end. Deal? Deal, starting in Matthew chapter four. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. First point, first takeaway for today, probably the most obvious, but also probably the most thought provoking for us is that in fact, Jesus lived in community with others. Jesus never asked us to do something. He never taught us to do something that he didn't do himself, that Jesus lived in community with others. And we see here four people that he's calling into his community. And, and in a couple of passages, we're gonna see even more that he's walking closely with, that he's uh, constantly interacting and engaging with over a common interest. And what was that common interest, you might ask? Well, the common interest was Jesus, it was him saying, hey, follow me, and I'll teach you to be like me. And they wanted to be like Jesus, and so they committed to following after him. And we see in Matthew chapter four something that we can't miss, that the call to follow Jesus happens simultaneously with the call to join Jesus' community. That these two things, they don't live as separately. They are deeply, deeply connected it goes to prove that you and I were not meant to walk through life alone. We weren't even meant to walk with Jesus alone. But the highlight for us is to follow Jesus is to live in community with others. But they're inseparable. They're the same. We'll keep going. A couple of chapters later, Matthew chapter 8. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. And then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another of his disciples said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. So we see here 
uh, in this passage, Jesus often, he would, he would you know, preach and teach to these large crowds, and then uh, he would often kind of go away from that, and he would engage one-on-one or engage in a smaller group of people to see who's understanding what I'm teaching, like who, who's willing to follow what I'm teaching. And so we see two exchanges here. The first exchange, it says, is with this teacher of the religious law. And we don't get a name attached to this teacher. We just know there's a teacher. There's an anonymous teacher of religious law who's saying to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies back to that. He says, are you sure? Are you you sure about that? He's saying, I I, want to know, are you willing to follow me? Not if, but when difficulties arise because because difficulties are going to arise hardships are going to happen and when the going gets tough are you still going to be willing to follow me are you sure and again notice we didn't get a name attached to this teacher and we also we didn't get the outcome does this guy drop everything and follow Jesus or does he go oh actually that's a good point and does he bail out we don't know we don't know what he decides All we get is the second exchange. It immediately goes in, and he's having this conversation, it says, with one of his disciples. Again, we don't have the name of this disciple. It just says one of his disciples. In the second uh, exchange, this disciple is saying, Jesus, I wanna follow you, but first, let me go and bury my father. Now, there's some context here. His father's not actually dead. What he's saying is, Jesus, let me wait until my father passes. Let me go back home, wait until my father passes, then I can receive my inheritance and then I'll be able to follow you, okay? Let me go take care of him, then I'll be able to take care of everything financially, I'll be able to get all my affairs in order, and then I'm gonna be ready to surrender to you. And Jesus says, follow me now. Don't don't wait for all that, follow me now. Are you willing to risk everything that I have planned for you if it doesn't align with everything that you have planned for you? This is kind of the question Jesus is asking in this second exchange. And again, notice, we don't have a name to this disciple and we don't know what they decide. And I can't prove this necessarily, but I think this is by design in scripture. We don't get the names in these stories and we don't get the resolutions. We don't get the outcome. All we're left with with these two exchanges is the tension for us as the reader to go, what did they do? But the question isn't what did they do? The question is for us to look in the mirror and go, What will I do? What am I gonna do? Am I willing to follow Jesus even when it gets tough? Well, what about me? As I look in the mirror, am I willing to follow Jesus even when his way and my way don't align? Am I willing to follow Jesus? And do you know what we see in scriptures all throughout the gospels and Jesus' teaching? We see lots of people were willing to turn down Jesus' invitation. Now listen, I know some of us are note takers and some of us like to take pictures of like stuff on the screen and that's what we post and stuff. Might I suggest this not being the highlight of the message this weekend if you're gonna post it on social media. Like nobody, we don't like, we need a lot of context when you have the pastor sitting next to the TV and it says, hey, people were turning Jesus down all the time. Like what did you learn at church? Oh, people turned down Jesus. Like, like probably not the best thing, but it's the reality that we have to live in. It's a tension that we have to live in because it begs the question for us, well, which one am I? Am I willing, even when it gets tough, to follow, to live in community with God and with others? Am I willing when everything doesn't align with what I want, with my will, with my way, am I willing to 
stay committed. I would love for us to stay in this tension a little longer, but we gotta keep going. Next chapter, Matthew chapter nine. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? I love it. I hear this as like a Star Wars voice, like, you rebel scum, you know? No? Keep reading? All right. Uh, I said, when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And he quotes Hosea. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. And we see this in this passage. We see that those who accepted Jesus' invitation were at different stages of maturity. We see when you start to look through the community of Jesus and those that he was calling into his community, they were at different stages in their maturity. They were at, spanned the socioeconomic spectrum. They entered into conflict regularly, most of the time over trivial things that did not matter. They entered into the community of Jesus at different points along their spiritual journey. And interestingly enough with Jesus, it mattered less about their level of maturity and it mattered more about their level of Commitment, hence the title of this series, Commitment to Community. And just to kind of drive this point home a little further, just one chapter over, Matthew chapter 10, he says, Jesus called, this is like our, 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 our glance, our look into Jesus' community. We see Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of Jesus' community. The first four we've already met. Simon, also called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, we read about them earlier in Matthew 4. Then we get Matthew, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, who we just read about, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who many of us know, who later betrayed Jesus. We don't have time to go through and look through every single one of the 12 that were closely following, that were a part of Jesus' community. I mean, Judas Iscariot could have his own message. He could have his own weekend of being just the fact that Jesus invited him in, knowing what Judas would do. Like, that in itself is kind of mind-blowing when you think about Jesus' community. But let's just focus on the two that had, uh, they had titles added to their name. There was Matthew the tax collector, and there was Simon the zealot. Okay, so the tax collectors, Matthew was a Jew who literally was on the payroll of the Roman government collecting taxes from other Jews. And not just that he was on the payroll for them, but tax collectors often practiced was they would add additional charges onto the taxes that they were collecting so that they could literally profit off of the taxes that they were collecting from their own people. There's a reason in Matthew chapter nine it said uh, tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, that those were in the same breath, those were in the same conversation. Tax collectors will look down upon. Matthew was the ultimate betrayer of his people, the Jews, that's Matthew in a nutshell, right? Tax collector. Then you've got Simon the Zealot. And Zealots were a Jewish political activist group who sought to wage war against the Roman government in an effort to overthrow them. So you've got Matthew who's on the payroll for Rome and these Zealots who are trying to overthrow Rome. And listen, they would use forceful tactics if need be, even oftentimes murder 
for them in their effort to overthrow Rome. I mean, quite literally, Simon was a part of a Jewish insurgency group. So one's on the payroll for Rome, one's trying to overthrow Rome, and Jesus looks at both of them and says, come, follow me, walk with me, learn from me. I mean, we don't have an exchange of this in Scripture, but wouldn't you just love to hear like one dinner conversation with Jesus and all 12 one night? Like they all gather at Simon Peter's house one night, and, and like Simon looks over at Matthew, and he's like, hey, Matthew, like, hey, you know, can you pass the bread, you traitor, you nasty traitor, you know? And, and then like Matthew looks back and he was like, traitor, get your own bread, you murderer, you know? Like take that. And then Jesus has to step in and he's like, boys, 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 hey, shalom, you know? Peace, S- settle down, you know? But pass the man some bread, you know, we're hungry. You do it, you know? Like we don't have this exchange, but like these are the people who were walking in Jesus' community. It just goes to show that Jesus' community, the people that entered into his community, they were at different stages of their journey. And with Jesus, it really did. It mattered less about their maturity when they entered and more about their level of commitment. Last story, Matthew chapter 20. It says, then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, Jesus asked. And she replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. So Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared these places for the ones he has chosen. I mean, fully surrendered to the will of God. Then it gets interesting. So when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were super angry. They were super frustrated. They were furious. They're like, uh, first of all, how dare you ask to have the two best seats with Jesus? Like, also, second of all, how dare you ask him right in front of us? Like, at least have the common courtesy to ask behind our back, right? You did it right in front of us. They're like, oh, and thirdly, you didn't even ask. You got your mommy to come and ask, Right, I mean, they're furious, they're irate. And Jesus, again, has the call, he calls them together. He's like, hey, settle down, settle down. He calls them together and he says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For Even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, but among you, it will be different. But among the, inside this community, it will be different. You know, you know that outside this community, it is dog eat dog. It is kill or be killed. You know outside of this community, greatness is achieved oftentimes by stepping on or stepping over the other person to get to the top, but not so inside this community. Inside this community, we will be marked by our love and service for one another. Inside this community, we will be marked by our humility. It will be a different way of living inside this community than what the world around us is showing. Jesus reminds us again, his disciples and us as the reader, this is why I came here to begin with. 
And Jesus himself, if Jesus chose the way of love and servanthood, then why would it be any different for us as members of his community? And we see this in this last point. We see that the end goal of Jesus' community was to grow and mature into a community that looked like Jesus. And for us, I mean, isn't this the the, the real goal for us? We call ourselves Christians. We want to look more like Jesus, right? The word literally translates little Christ. The goal of Jesus' community, the goal for us as Christ followers should be in a community that is growing and maturing into a community that looks like Jesus. You can take this whole message this weekend in fact, you could, honestly, you could take this whole series the last two weeks and, and you, you could summarize it in, into this one thought, that the community of Jesus was committed to community. They were, in fact, committed to community. The people Jesus was walking with were committed to becoming more like Jesus together. Community with God community with one another. They're inseparable. They're they're, they're linked. They're they're synonymous together. And we see this all throughout the Gospels. Jesus going back and forth between community with God and community with one another. Last week, Pastor John highlighted just in the Gospel of Luke all the different times that Jesus got alone with God to pray. And then what would he do? He would leave that time alone with God and he would go back to his community. And there with his community, he would sit with them and he would talk with them and he would listen to them and he would teach them and he, he, he would share with them. And then what would he do? He would go back and spend time with God. And then he would go back to community with others. And there was this beautiful rhythm of community that Jesus modeled for us, community with God and community with one another. And, and think about this. I mean, think about your life. Think about your life just for a minute. Wouldn't you say, some of the best moments of healing in your life? Wouldn't you say some of the best moments of breakthrough, of freedom, some of the best encounters that you've had with Jesus were either when you were alone with God in the quiet, in a time of prayer, personal worship time with just you and the scriptures, or when you were in community with others? Some of the the highlights of our spiritual journey happen in, in, in one of these two contexts because they're, they're inseparable. This is how we grow in our relationship with God, with him, with one another. The New Testament writers knew this. There's, there's nearly 60 commands in the New Testament scriptures for us as the church, for us as Christ followers. The writers of the New Testament, they assumed two things about us as followers of Jesus. They assumed two things. Number one, for us as the church, they assumed that we were in community with one another. The way that they write the New Testament, this is clearly assumed, hey, we're walking in community together. And then they also knew, or they assumed, secondly, that community is messy. It is messy. That's why there's nearly 60 commands for us to try to figure this out and to get it right. That's why Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another. Because sometimes this is hard for us. That's why Romans 12, 10 tells us to honor one another. Because sometimes we don't always have respect for each other, but we're instructed to honor each other. That's why Colossians 3.16 teaches us to teach one another. Because they knew we still have, even in the church, even as Christians, even in the community of Jesus, we still have so much to learn, right? 
That's why James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins one to another. Why? Because we're going to fail. And when we fail, you know what we're going to be tempted to do? Hide it. To go into isolation. To walk alone. He says, no, 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 no. Fight against that. Confess it. That's why Ephesians 4.32 tells us to forgive one another. Why? Because you're going to get wronged and you're going to wrong somebody along the way. And we're gonna have to forgive one another as we have been forgiven. That's why Colossians 3.13 tells us to bear with one another in love because we're gonna have to be patient with one another because relationships are messy and we're gonna have to show patience and some endurance with one another. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us to encourage one another because we need wind our back saying keep going, keep going in this rhythm of community with God and community with one another. And in community, we know this, community is where, is the place where we are learning to be like Jesus. Community this way, and community this way. Not an either or, but both and. It's the place where we are learning to be like Jesus. I had like the privilege this week, I guess, the, just the, the circumstance of, of two incredible conversations happening around the same time this past week. And one was with one of my brothers, who's uh, just one of my best friends, I love him, and then one was with a friend who I've known for more than half of my life at this point, is just a, a dear friend, and ha- had conversations with both of these guys in the past week or so. And um, In both of those conversations, we did what we all do, right? And we talked about our jobs, and we talked about our families, and we talked about our lives, and we reminisced on funny stories and funny things that we did growing up, or funny things that have happened recently, or like, oh, you should have seen this, you know, this thing happened recently, and it was hilarious. We talked about all the important things in life, like for me, I got to share about the H-E-B that just opened up in McKinney. Can I get an amen? I mean, that place, I was like, y'all, it's like a Bucky's, but a grocery store. You don't even understand how phenomenal this thing is. And, uh, and uh, it's gonna be damaging for our family because I love it. Uh, but I'm like, so all, the impo- you know, all, the, all the really important stuff we talked about. But we also talked about some really important stuff. And in fact, in both of these conversations, uh, we were able to encourage one another spiritually inside of these conversations. And really, in both of these conversations, we shared uh, struggles and we shared some issues that we were facing that we hadn't actually said out loud before those talks. And it was kind of like, ooh, that was in there. And it just came out. And then in that conversation, in both of these conversations, we were able to uh, say how proud we were of one another and to remind each other that we loved each other and to encourage each other. And, And there was a level in both of these of vulnerability and accountability in both of these conversations that they were so life giving. This is why I'm talking about them. They were so life giving. And they were so faith-filling. It, it, it was so motivating for me in my walk with God. Why? Because these are two guys that are a part of the group of people that I'm following Jesus with. And, and we got to, we're walking with Jesus and committed to becoming more like Jesus together. And it was so refreshing. And it, it, it was, honestly, it was, it was incredible. It was awesome. And I'm saying this to say because Jesus would say oftentimes when he would preach, he would finish preaching and then he would say, anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. This is my prayer for us this weekend. This is my prayer for our church this weekend. That we would hear the message today. 
And that in hearing this message that, that we would understand our need for community with God and community with one another. That these two things aren't isolated. These two things are, are very much connected. And that we would be motivated to take a next step. And for many of us, that next step is us signing up for one of these groups that we talked about earlier that's going to be launching here in a couple weeks. And, and saying, you know what, I'm going to take a step in, in following Jesus by connecting with people in community. I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to sign up for a group that's about to launch where I can really be a part of this idea of community that says I'm going to join in with a group of people and we're following Jesus together. Where the end goal is that we're becoming more like Jesus together. Fully aware that it can be messy. Fully aware that it can take time sometimes to find the right group of people to follow Jesus with. But knowing that I need a place where I know and am known. And I'm not walking alone. I think for some of us today, it's not taking the next step, it's taking that first step of saying, I need to surrender my life to Jesus. I need to first walk in community with God. I need to surrender my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Start that relationship today. Because here's what happens. When, when, when we do these things, when we are walking in community with God and we're walking in community with one another, the goal for us, the goal for the church, like the big C church, what happens is the community within our church helps our church continue to reach our community. When we do this and this. Amen? Can I pray for us today? God, we love you so much. And we thank you for yet another opportunity that you've given us today to serve you. And God, I thank you for the abundant clarity that you give us in your word. The model you sent with your son, Jesus of what it looks like to walk in fellowship with you and community with you and in community with one another. God, for, for those of us who uh, are already doing that, God, would this message just be encouragement for them today? And for others of us who are looking for that group of people to follow you with, would you bring those relationships to the forefront of our lives in this next season? God, for others of us who have yet to say yes to a relationship with you, would we be, would we be inspired today to surrender our lives to you and start community with you today? We love you. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.